This is an NC Baptist resource. For more, visit ncbaptist.org. Welcome to the NC Baptist Podcast, the podcast designed to engage with ministry leaders around topics that will explore approaches and resources to help us be on mission together. It's because of your generosity that this resource is available. Learn more at ncbaptist.org slash give or contact us at communications at ncbaptist.org. Welcome to the NC Baptist Podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. Daniel Rose here, student ministry strategist. The transition from high school ministries to college and young adult ministries can be jarring for many of our students. As student pastors and leaders, it's important to ask the question of how can your ministry lay a foundation for students to grow into mature, healthy college and young adult disciples. Today's podcast is going to be a great one. Austin Gentry is the young adult pastor at Second Baptist Church of Houston, Texas. He's originally from North Carolina, a graduate of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, and is an author of 10 Things Every Christian Should Know for College. Listen with me today to the recording of this session where Austin shares strategies to prepare your students and their parents well. My name is Austin Gentry. I'm from High Point, North Carolina, just right down the road. Big Wake Forest fan growing up, so this is Wake Forest County. Yep. Um, I went to UNC for college. I was a part of the Summit Church out there for a little while. I went to Southeastern to get my MDiv um, after that. And then I, I'd always felt uh, somewhat of a call to the ministry right when I got saved when I was in middle school. But I never really knew what that looked like you know, on a day-to-day basis. I'm like, what do pastors do? They just sit around on a pew all day and read their Bible? Like, and then Sunday is kind of their one big work. They're like, what do you do as a pastor? And I had no idea. I, I don't come from a family of people that worked in ministry, um, but I, I always kept feeling uh, a, a call or a pull, especially to, to, um, to reach people that were in my generation. Now, I would say uh, young adults are obviously millennials, but that's not the case anymore. We have Gen Z that are now... Um, in that same young adult college space. Uh, whenever I meet a, a kid at church and they re- fill out a visitor card and they're like, I was born in 2003. I'm like, now I feel really old. Um, but I've always had a heart for young adults. I've always had a heart for, uh, for college, uh, the campus of, of university environment. Um, I think more than anything, it is the place where your faith is situated like a pressure cooker for better or for worse. Um, You have kids go to college and they seemingly lose their faith altogether, or they go to college and they meet Jesus for the first time and it's a trajectory for the rest of their life. Um, For me, uh, I I was a believer and I was following the Lord and I felt a call to ministry, but in college, that's where I really felt like my faith really became my own. And we're gonna talk a little bit about what that looks like practically today. Um, and so, uh, by the way, I, before I went into ministry, I, I worked several jobs just in the regular workspace. I wouldn't call these regular workspace jobs. I've, I've had some very strange jobs. I worked for Cookout. Any fans of Cookout? Yeah. Um, so I was uh, a hiring manager and social media coordinator for Cookout for two years. And then I worked for uh, the next best Southern sweet brand, which is Krispy Kreme yes. uh, in Charlotte, doing the same type thing um, for eight months. And while I was doing all those, those, those jobs, I remember thinking, 
Well, these jobs help fund my main passion and calling to disciple the next generation and to disciple college students and young adults. And I was like, yeah, this is great. I can, I can use this job as a means towards doing what I really want to do. This nine to five helps me do what I want to do five to nine. And uh, thankfully, and by God's grace, there was a, a church out in Austin, Texas, uh, who I had several friends with that uh, referred my name to a church in Houston. And so I'm now at Second Baptist Houston, um, about a thousand miles away from here. Uh, and I currently serve as their college and, and young adult pastor. Um, so I've been there for four years. It's been awesome. Um, quite frankly, I feel uh, it's very humbling being here with you guys today because I don't feel like I need to be the one up here talking to you and discussing with you. I really feel like I can learn way more from you uh, just being someone who's very new. Um, <laughs> this, is a tr- this is a true thing. If you happen to write a book, which I love to write, I'm a nerd, that's just what I like to do. If you write a book, it's somehow you get invited to speak at conferences. So that's why, that's why I'm here. I got an invite because of that. The book's called 10 Things Every Christian Should Know for College. And I wrote that book um, while I was uh, in my employment at Cookout. And uh, that book really was an inspiration from a blog that uh, just kind of started being shared from parents and uh, administrators. Um, you know, I, I like to write because, like I said, I'm a nerd, and that's just what I like to do in my free times at times. And, uh, you know, I have a couple people reading my blog every now and then, mom, grandpa, sometimes dad, definitely not my brother, uh, you know. But I, I wrote a post back in 2016 in August that was titled, Eight Things Every Freshman Should Know Before They Step Onto the College Campus. And uh, for whatever reason, that one, I guess, struck a chord with people or something needed to be said in the right way. And as y'all all know, the college campus has changed so much um, and its cultural ethos over the past five years uh, that has made, I think, reaching college students now more dire than ever before, um, given the culture that we're in. And so um, that, that was kind of the inspiration for the book, and that's just kind of been an expression of, of my passion um, from here on out, and that's what I'm loving to do right now. Get into some big swath general principles about what it is like to, one, go to college as a believer, and then how to kind of step out and how we can walk alongside them better. Um, So first, how many of you have seen the movie God's Not Dead? The movie God's Not Dead, uh, it takes, the premise is that of an atheistic, agnostic professor uh, who engages a innocent freshman kid who grew up in Bible school, or Bible study class and worship service, big church, and now all of a sudden he's now on campus in the lion's den of this professor, and they're just going at it every single scene in the movie. And it's extremely antagonistic. It's, uh, it's very embellished. The general idea of God's Not Dead is that the professors are just coming, going for your throat spiritually might be a bit of an embellishment. It's not that severe. Faith for a freshman in college, it finally and fully becomes their own. All through high school, if you go to a Christian school, if you're up in the youth group, you can, as a youth, essentially have a faith that's based on the coattails of somebody else. You're expected to be this way. You're expected to act a certain way, believe a certain way. This is your family mold, your family expectation. Well, Go to college, that mold is gone. You're a free person. You're a free spirit. What do you want to do? It's Sunday morning. How do you want to use it? It's Wednesday night. It's community. How do you want to get connected? How do you want to get plugged in? Who is your community? All those things they're beginning to have to grapple with for the first time. The difference really 
between an engaged believer at that stage in their life with a disengaged believer at that life is whether or not their faith is actually meaningful already. You know, you have many, you have many high school students who they're, they're in youth group and they're going off to college and then all of a sudden they just disappear. They drop off the map of faith. And you're like, what happened? And we're like so surprised. If we're really walking beside students, there should not be that much surprise with certain people. Now, of course, there's going to be, you know, your exceptions to the rule. But generally speaking, I, I think that we have our blinders of people being on church staff and we think, well, if they're there on Wednesday and Sunday and, and they're coming to programming, then certainly everything is fine with them in terms of matters of faith. That's not necessarily true. Uh, we really need to start asking the hard questions as ministers, as pastors, as disciple makers, and, and try to foster those one-on-one -on -one relationships as much as we can, not just those big events on Wednesday where they're just another name and just another face in the crowd. We've got to start doing the discipleship work a little bit better. But these students, they're looking for, as they come into college, they're looking for a sense of identity. They're looking for a sense of purpose. They're looking for a sense of fulfillment. Identity, purpose, fulfillment. If they haven't first found those three things in Christ or have some kind of association with how they can get there with Christ, it's going to be really difficult to all of a sudden convince them when you have the throes of fraternity and sorority life, not that those are bad things, vying for their time, vying for their attention, vying for their significance on campus. Uh, and so that's where we need to start looking at discipleship, their identity, their purpose, their fulfillment. How does Christ's kingdom move into that? I heard uh, when I was um, actually the summer before uh, I stepped foot onto UNC, um, one uh, college associate, he told me this, and this was so formative for me. He said, Austin, as you prepare and as you think about stepping onto campus for the first time, what you need to realize is that the first four weeks of your college experience is typically the forecast for your next four years. The first four weeks is generally always a forecast of the next four years. The reality is that you wake up junior year and you're like, man, I need to start following Christ now. He's like, you got a lot going against you. You've already gone downstream so much. Not that God can't redeem anything like that or he can't move you in a different direction. It's just going to be a lot harder than if you start trying to make priorities, the things that you knew should have been priorities two years prior. Those four weeks are so fundamental. So if you're, if you're working with youth, if you're working with college students, this four weeks, this needs to be what you associate. If you're an accountant, like this is busy season. This is where the seeds really go deep. This is where the soil is really fertile. This is time that I can't just get back. These four, first four weeks in a freshman's tenure are extremely formative. The friends they make, the ministries they're involved in, whether or not they go to church, and uh, that's what I want to look at a little bit more uh, with, with some of these things. And with the outline, I'm going to show you, uh, well, I want to talk about Ephesus real quick. But um, if you're taking notes, I want you to look at this. How do we send them well? Sending well, high school students, college ministry students. I want to look at the who, the where, the what, the when. Those, those four things, just as we try to figure out and navigate how we can best disciple them. Because each student is different, right? And they're going to different universities and they're going to different cities and all those things are a little bit nuanced. So I want to look at those four things. But before we kind of hop into that, um, I saw a, a post not too long ago um, by some collegiate ministry and they made a, a great article about how the college campus is a lot like the city of Ephesus. 
They said if the college town could, you know, if Paul, the Apostle Paul could write a letter to the college town today, it would probably be something like the college town of Ephesus. Why? Because for several reasons. One, it's a port city. So there are people from all over the, all over the known world gathered into this one city. So there's representations everywhere across the state at NC State University, right? Or at East Carolina University. The college campus is also a highly moral place. It's very ironic. They, they tout themselves in knowing what is morality, and yet there's, it's just full of idolatry. The city of Ephesus was just like this. They cared, really, they cared a lot about social causes. They cared a lot about what justice is and equality is and equity is and all these words that, that, that say, we're moral, we care about the moral fabric of society. And yet things like sexual sin and perversion, well, well that does, that's for you to just, that's, that's personal. Or things like money and how you spend it, uh, we're not going to talk about that. You know, there's, there's angles here of, of the university campus that wants us to be moral, but they don't want answers to spiritual questions. It's idolatry. Also, the economy in, this, uh, in, this college, in many college towns, it's built around, just like Ephesus, the Temple of Artemis. The Temple of Artemis was central to really all of their economy. And the Temple of Artemis was where people found their sense of freedom, their sense of freedom of self. Where do people find their sense of freedom for self? On the college campus. They find it in fraternities. They find it in athletics. They find it in the library. Their identity that's based on their GPA or their career path. Their sense of self, the Temple of Artemis. There's also in the university, there's this, there's this high emphasis on intellect. High emphasis on intellect. But no real desire to submit to truth. No desire to submit to truth. You walk into a religious studies classroom, and they want to talk about all these fascinating, interesting things, but the spiritual realities behind those things, they don't want to touch. There's almost, again, it plays with the freedom of self. If you want to talk about intellectual things all that you can, but at the end of the day, if it leads you to make a conviction, well, now you're pigeonholed. Now, you got it. now, you're, now you're cornered, you're catty-cornered. Someone's now the authority of your life. Something's the authority of your life. And so the college campus where freedom and self is the highest you know, emphasis, they don't want to, they don't want to ever get the truth. They just want to talk about intellect. The, the library uh, in Ephesus, the library of Celsus had over 11,000 scrolls of wisdom. That was one of the things that they were known for. And not to mention the college town of Ephesus, it was home to this giant amphitheater with a seating capacity of 25,000 people where entertainment was king and was the largest weekend driver. If that doesn't sound like a college campus on Saturday for football games, basketball games, events that take the place of people's bandwidth on the weekends. It's what they generally worship. It's what gives, it's what gives priority. John writes to Ephesus something that's very profound. He says in 1 John 1, how do we reach Ephesus? How do we reach that college town? 1 John 1, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, we have seen it and testify to it that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. So John's first discipleship strategy to reach a college town, a place where intellect was very highly touted, a place where entertainment was king. It drove all the attendance on, on the weekends. His number one strategy was personal evangelism and personal testimonies. Just tell people how Jesus has changed your life. 
I mean, yes, there's a place for intellect, there's a place for argumentation, there's a place for rhetoric, there's a place for mini programming. But at the end of the day, if there's not a personal touch of who Jesus is and what he's done for me, it's hard for me to make a connection personally with someone else on matters of faith. So John, he gives us that blueprint of sending. And at the very end of 1 John, still writing to the same audience, he then says, and I hope and I pray that they keep themselves away from idols. So you share your personal testimony, and you also call people to truth. You have experience, you have truth. You have grace, you have truth. You want to connect, but you also want to call them towards something else. And that's how we essentially approach discipleship on the college campus. Now, here's where I'm going to get into the outline. Sending well. How do you send well? Let's look at those five things. Who, when, where, why, how, what. First, how, or, or who, rather. Who are we really discipling? Who are these people? How do we send them well. How do I send that kid from my youth group well? How do I send that girl from my youth group well into the next stage? The first one of who is this, is that you you really have to know each individual. You have to know your child. You have to know your youth. You have to know your flock. This is, this is just, this is shepherding. Someone, for example, has a different level of biblical literacy than someone else. Someone is further along the spectrum of maturity in their faith than someone else. Someone is more engaged in, in weekend activities and in volunteerism than someone else. Someone has a different sense of identity than someone else. It, it, we can't shotgun approach discipleship as easy as that would be. That's just not what shepherds do. They know their sheep individually. Every time the sheep goes into the gate, he pats them down. He has a name for one, each person. He knows exactly where they're hurting. He knows exactly what each sheep needs. Similarly, as we prepare them to send them off well, we got to know each person well as well. So, for example, someone asks me, they're like, well, you know, Austin, my college kid, he, I don't, I don't know, he wants to go to Oklahoma, and I don't really know where he's at in matters of faith, and we're going to be funding his whole college career, and whatever, and that, those are personal family conversations with the finances and all that, but they're like, is it better for our kid to go to Liberty University, or is it better for our kid to go to Oklahoma? And I say, I don't know, but that's a good question to ask, though. Is it better for my kid to go to community college and to stay close? Or is it better for them to go to University of South Carolina, where we're not going to see them for every three months? Do we know the friendships that my son or daughter has with, you know, in, in the church? What is that going to look like downstream when they get onto college campus? Do you trust them? Do you think that they're grounded enough? Do you feel like, you know, the college experience is like, it's kind of that weird, awkward space where your youth is kind of still your youth, but not really. Your son and daughter is like kind of your son and daughter, but like they're kind of on their own too. It's a weird middle ground there. You have some level of say, you have some level of influence. They also have some level of freedom. So first, as we send them well, it's, it's who. Am I acquainted with the who that's being sent first? What about when? When do we send them well? When do we send them well starts way before we think that we should. When we send them well, we're already thinking, okay, it's May. They're going to college in August. Man, we got three months to prepare them well. We got three months to talk about college. We got three months to do something. And yes, but we begin to start sending them well off to college. Man, when they're in high school, it's at least senior year. We need to be start talking about college. Here's the reality. I don't know why we do this, but in in Christian cultures and whatever culture, anybody talks about college starting junior year. You're already talking about where you want to go, 
where you wanna apply to, what state you might wanna move to. Like beginning of junior year, most people are thinking about that. No one's thinking about it at that point, junior year. If I go to this school, then this is the church that I'd like to get involved in. Why is that not a part of the conversation? Why, why when, when we um, are thinking about preparing our kids for college, we don't even talk about churches or local churches to connect with until they're already on campus. It, it, we're sending them way too late. And then we're wondering why they're having a hard time making those connections up front. We need to start sending them well when it's, when it's not even an issue so that it is a priority before they even get there. Take advantage of the summer months. Take advantage of senior year in particular. You know, we do, uh, how many of y'all, when you went to college, you like did some prospecting, right? You like went and toured different colleges. How many of y'all did that? Okay, me too. Um, someone told me this and I was like, man, I, I, that's a good idea. And I should have done that myself. And I didn't. And I hope that I will, Lord willing, do this with my kids one day is whenever I'm prospecting a university, if it's on the weekend, especially, why not also prospect local churches while you're there on campus? Because what you're telling your kid is the campus, the college campus matters, and the church campus matters just as much. It's not just where you're going to be spending you know, your time in your library. This is where you're going to really grow as a person and really come to know Jesus. Here's, here's, a, here's a church, a local church, that's connected to this campus. Connect them already in the summer with ministries, with churches, with college pastors. If you're, if you're a college pastor... Nothing will bring you more joy, you know this, than a parent or a student even who calls during the summer and is like, hey, I'm going to be at UNC Charlotte in the fall. I'm just wondering if you can help me out with, I don't know, basic connections. When do y'all meet? Where do I go? How do I connect? Be a resource for somebody in the summer before they even get there. So that those four weeks, which are really, really hard, really, really tough, that even like <laughs> lightens the load significantly. Also, um, um, try to, if you can, especially if you've been working in youth, you already know that there are kids that have gone through your youth group that are at certain universities. This is a great opportunity to connect them with that person that's already hopefully plugged in somewhere else. It, facilitating those connections intergenerationally within several years, a handful of years, that does uh, an amazing thing and where they may, they may even go to college. What about where? As we think about how do we send them well, what about the context with which they're going into? You know, we talk about a lot about uh, incarnational ministry and contextual evangelism and um, all those different things. Where we think about sending someone is a big factor that I think we don't talk about enough. Um, college culture is very different based on the different colleges that you go to. Different colleges value different things. What voices at certain college campuses are loudest? What voices or cultures are the strongest at certain cities? That's the thing that you should tell your student or youth or whatever that they should expect as they begin to prospect going to the university there. College is a, a four-year experience where you live those four years in a four-mile radius, generally speaking, with about 40,000 people, that are all within the same four-year age gap. And that is a wild thing to think about. Context matters. So many people, your age and phase of life, four years, four miles, that it is the highest concentration of a person's people that they, were, that they will ever be around for the rest of their life, and it's not even close. How they step into that matters significantly 
as they begin to follow Christ. But, all right, let's go into the why. Send them why. Why do we send them? Okay, this is more of a, a theological reason, not just a, a purposeful or personal reason. Theologically, why do we send them? These are things that I hopefully will just supplement uh, things from the larger study. But one um, is that we send them well, and we want to send them well and see them succeed, not after they just pass out of our flock and into someone else's flock. We, we do it first and foremost because it's a command. It's our duty as believers. This transition is massive. You know, I, I think many of us, myself included, when we see someone graduate and they go off to another campus, they go off to another church, they go off to another city, we're like, my job's done. And it's almost as if we just let them go. And it, it's like, well, that, there, was there really a personal connection there afterward, afterwards? Or were they just a project or just a number or a name that, well, they were on your roster at church? Helping them make that transition is huge. We're commanded to do just that. Another, another reason why we do this is, too, we want to build the church of tomorrow today. One of our big concerns needs to not just be, okay, i got to just build what i got right now. We also need to have a, a, a futuristic mindset 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now. How are we as a church, whatever church you're at, helping other churches around the country? Now, I love that y'all are from Biltmore because um, one of the guys in my young adults ministry from Houston, solid, solid guy, moved to Asheville, and he's now part of Biltmore. And I hope and pray and it, that he is a better servant leader at your church because of the time that he spent at our church. That is our gift to you. Now, of course, we don't take credit for that. He's a solid dude on his own. But are we helping other churches build their culture so that they're better suited long term as well? Churches is so transient. The college culture is so transient. If you're, if you're a college pastor in here, you're probably exhausted, or a youth pastor too, you're exhausted because you're like, how do I build a culture when I got four years and it's just constant rotation? How do you build that? Young adults ministry too. So I, I'm in young adults, but I'm actually in singles young adults. So that's the worst because then it's like as soon as they date, break up, they're both gone. <laughs> Never see them again. Or if they get married, they're gone. Engaged, they're gone. So it's like, how am I supposed to build, how is this supposed to like work? And I, I think the Lord put it on my heart where he was like, Austin, this is not your kingdom to build. My kingdom is much bigger than just your department at a mega church where you have 100 people show up on a, on a Sunday morning. You're, you're a part of a bigger movement of churches that are making disciples together. And where you invest, that's going to play a role in how they serve and invest somewhere else. And that's, the, that's true for all of our churches. So why we do that? We do it to build the church of tomorrow. Another thing of, of why we disciple and why we send them off well, why we want to send them off well, is that we want more success stories of faith when it comes to college. We hear way too much bad PR, do we not? Scary stories. We made a whole movie series, God's Not Dead, on the motive of fear. Look, this is going to scare you. We'd sell tons of tickets on how scary college is. It should be the opposite direction, right? Like, I'm not assuming God's dead. I'm assuming God is alive here at the college campus. You know, not trying to critique their movie series, but it shows an emphasis that, like, we're already expecting to lose. We're already expecting the scary stories and bad stories and tragedy and spiritual trauma once they get on the college campus. That's just not, I don't think we should think about things like that. We want more success stories of faith. Four, we want to mobilize the church into the most unreached places in our country, which is the college campus. The college campus is, is one of the largest mission fields because you have people from all over the world there in that four-mile radius. People from all over the state there in that four-mile radius. You can impact everything from impacting that one place. 
Um, you know, I told you I worked at Cookout, right? Cookout's marketing strategy, we should implement as the church for discipleship. What do I mean by that? Cookout, what they do whenever they put a new store out is they put a new store in a college town. One, it fits their brand because, oh, $5 food, cheap, it's open till 4 a.m., it fits. But they put it in college towns, not just because of that, but because now when those kids graduate and they go back to wherever they came from in Mississippi and Alabama, they all know about Cookout. And then whenever Cookout comes to their city, they already know about it. They're already expecting it. So it's like this self-perpetuating, replicating brand. You touch the college campus, you touch the whole state. You touch the college campus with discipleship, you touch all the churches. You're impacting many, many people. So as we prepare our students to go to college, we're preparing them to really make a difference wherever they end up going. Now, another fifth reason why we, why we want to send them well is, is mainly, and we talked about this at the beginning, is that the college experience, it, it really does concretize and catalyze Christians for the better or for the worse. For the better or for the worse. Who they become in college oftentimes become the people that, that, that they become for the rest of their lives. Again, there's, people change and, and the Lord is, is so gracious. And, but those four years are very, very pivotal in many, many people's lives, for better or for worse. And we want to be, be people who are assisting them as they move forward in that. Okay, lastly, how do we send them? How do we do that? Pastors, speaking to pastors first here, uh, here's some, some practical strategies. One, uh, it is very, very important, if you haven't done this already, that you need to start building a communication channel between your church and local churches near college campuses. You need to pick out a church near a local college campus that you have a good relationship with because you want to create a sending pipeline between your church and that local church near the college campus. Pipelines are very, very important as you think about sending. You want to have a a go-to pastor, a go-to person in your area who you can immediately connect your youth to. They would really appreciate that as well. (laughs) Pastor partnerships are people pipelines. Pastor partnerships are people pipelines. Where pastors have the strongest relationship, that's where you see the most flow of people because they're already affiliating with that, with that relationship. Now, parents, similar, similar to us or, or how we can encourage parents, we want to form a, a relationship with the pastor of that local church. They want to hear from you. Okay, now here's what I will say. There's only a window where you as a parent or where parents can effectively make that call to a pastor of a local church. Being the young adult pastor of a ministry that's 18 to 35 for singles, I can't tell you how many times I get phone calls from parents of a 26-year-old who is trying to get their 26-year-old son into church. And I have to, I have to talk to them and I'm like, I'm so glad that you want your 26-year-old to go to church. I'm so glad that you have a desire for them to get plugged in. Is there a reason why you're calling me and not your son? That call should have happened eight years ago when they were 18, when maybe they, when their parent could make a call for them. The parent making the call for them at 29, it, you already know there's a disconnect. They're 20, they know how to use a phone. They know how to make a phone call. And we're call, we're, where I'm seeing parents call way, way, way too late. If you call, make it early. Make it in the summer. Make it as a junior. Begin to foster that relationship. Have that pastor put your child on notice. Talk about, also as a parent, I think it's very important to talk about your college experiences. 
you know, I, I think that sometimes, you know, maybe parents we feel, you know, I say we, I'm not a parent, but we can feel a little bit ashamed. Let's say we did the college experience, we didn't do it well. Your kids need to hear that. Oh, I think one of the most profound stories my dad told me, my dad's a great godly man. He said, Austin, that one of the biggest uh, pivotal moments in my faith in college happened when I was the designated driver for a party because I had to go to church in the morning. I'm not going to drink and I'm able to drink. I'm 22 years old, but I wanted to be the designated driver. I'll take my friends back. But I remember a, a person at the party saying, Joel, you're the day de- you're taking because you got to get to church in the morning. I didn't pin you as that kind of person. And that was a wake up call to my dad. Because, yeah, he was a Christian. He was kind of involved, kind of not. But to him, it was, man, if it's not clear, if it's not a priority, and my friends don't even see any of that in my life, man, that's, that's a big thing for me. And my dad told me that when I was 18. And I have not forgotten that story. As parents, let's just share our own experiences with college. I think it can go a long way. How? For the college students also. You know, we always encourage them to read books. College kids, I want you to read a book. I wrote a book. I want you to read it too. <laughs> you know, read this book. I think it's helpful. Whether they read it or not, that's up to them. But I think another thing is, is have them uh, not just have resources that they can read if they want to, but help your students establish their priorities before they even get there. Help them establish, this is the church that I'm going to before I even get to college campus. If we begin to help them make those priorities before they even get there, we're really helping them and sending them off really well. It, these are the wins that we want to target for. As we're sending our kids off, as we're helping them prepare, we want to have a target that we're like, that was a win. That was a success story. That, we met the destination. That worked. We want to see assimilation into local churches. Assimilation. We want to see them established on campus. We don't want, listen, I know it's great, you know, if you have a youth that uh, wants to come home every weekend and help serve in the youth group, you're like, man, I still got my volunteer, this is great. Even though they're in college, they're coming back every weekend to help serve. That's not a good thing. It's good for you in the short term. It's not good for them, nor is it good for the campus. They are missionaries of your ministry who need to be established on that campus. Send them off well. Don't be stingy with volunteers. Send them off well. We want to see them involved. We want to see them making a difference. You know, we have many, many things through crew, through local churches. Have them intern one summer at a church. One summer at a church. Do a a summer project, a missions project, something to have them see what it looks like to be on the front lines of ministry. That's a huge win. And then have them also serve as ambassadors. Be that, I wanted to be, you know, when I went to UNC and I I got to spend the whole weekend with that friend who was life-changing for me as I went to UNC, I wanted to be that person for someone else. We want to train up people who are those kind of ambassadors for local churches to say, hey, you should go talk to Andrew Steele because he will get you connected at a church there. Begin to make those connections. Um, those are the wins, ultimately, that we want to see. We don't want to live, you know, we don't want to teach our kids that when you go to a college campus, you're all of a sudden on the defense. There's way too much of that. This is not bunker Christianity. Don't live on your heels. Don't live on the defense. We have a gospel message that is true. Thanks for listening with me. Austin shared some amazing strategies and practical ways that we can launch high school students into college and young adulthood. 
As NC Baptists, we are on mission together to make disciples of youth who make disciples. Our student ministry is here to partner on mission together with your church as you prepare to send your students. Connect with us at ncbaptist.org youth. You can listen to more NC Baptist podcasts just like this one at ncbaptist.org podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, what are you doing after college? What if you chose to start your career in a strategic place for the sake of the gospel? You can join the movement of God in North America and all over the world. You can give two years to missions. You've got to get a job somewhere. Why not somewhere for the kingdom of God? You could relocate to a North American city of your choice to find an exciting career and get paired up with a church plant. You could serve internationally through the International Mission Board. You can even get connected with mission opportunities through North Carolina Baptist on Mission. So, does this sound like something God's calling you to do after graduation? If so, fill out the interest form at go2years.net so we can connect you with opportunities to live on mission together around the globe. Thank you for joining us today. Because of your generosity to NC Baptist, this podcast, along with other helpful resources, are made available for you. Learn more by visiting ncbaptist.org slash give.